But here, on the very rim of known space, justice is a long way away. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. Currently traveling beyond the rim. <laughs> your co-host, Julie. Hello from the great north where the corn and the hot peppers are high. Has the smoke cleared yet? The smoke has cleared, and the Carolina Reapers are ripening. Oh, is that a good thing? I don't know what that is. That- that's a very good thing. It's the hottest hot pepper ever invented. Oh, and that's in the Chicago area? No, it was it was invented by a guy in Carolina, hence Carolina Reaper, but it makes oh. excellent hot sauce. 1.6 mil on the Scoville scale. We no, got thank a garden you. full of different kind of hot peppers. No, thank you. <laughs> I will pass. Uh, also joining us is your co-host, Thorsten. Hello. Uh, I don't know where I am, but I am somewhere. <laughs> Your co-host, uh, Jacob? Space. We love it. And your co-host, David? Considering how much I blew up in this game, all I had to say is, all I wanted was a code name of my own. <laughs> you oh, do Jacob gets that. <laughs> You do blow up, up a lot in this game. Uh, friends, welcome back. We had a couple weeks off due to vacation and internet outages because of a hurricane and all sorts of things. But we're back and we have guests joining us this week from Seattle and Cambridge, Massachusetts. Our Brian and Max of Forbidden Realm simulations to talk about a little roguelike game that we have pretty much fallen for here on the channel. Uh, Warp Vector. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey guys, good to be here. Hi, yeah, thanks for inviting us. Well, thank you for thank you for making your game. We, you know, I play, I try and play all the space games uh, because you know, name of the thing, and uh, it, it's all over the place. Sometimes you'll be disappointed. Sometimes you'll be, you know, you'll get what you expect, and sometimes, like with your game, you'll be very pleasantly surprised. Uh, we, we really, really, really love your game. Uh, I gotta say it's, it's got that old school, um, it's got definitely got that old school, like net hack rogue sensibility, but in space and it's great. So first off, thank you for making it. Um, mm. now, now you <laughs> said before the show, this is your first game. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, so originally this was um, an entry for the seven-day roguelike competition in 2017. Oh. Is, it, is that right? I think was it was 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah, so I was playing a lot of Rogue at the time, um, and I was, I don't know if you guys ever played that. It's like a, it's it's kind of like the original Rogue, but it, and it's all in ASCII, but they have a lot of like color effects and animation. Oh, Brogue um, with a B? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brogue is great. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Brogue is great. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I love Brogue and I've, I've done some work on like the community edition and, and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so I was really into Brogue. And so I wanted to make this for seven day roguelike. And at the time I was playing the Star Wars Armada board game. Um, where it's kind of like X-Wing if you've played that, where like the ships, the miniatures have like momentum. And so like if you're going at speed three on one turn, you have to go at speed three on the next turn unless you actually take an action to change your speed, that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to do that for the seven-day roguelike. Um, and... Um, yeah, so we had, a, we had a version that just ran in the browser... Uh, and yeah, Max made some some uh, audio, made some like 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 uh, music tracks for it, um, and yeah, it was it. it uh, I, I think there were a couple of it didn't really like take off and become a huge hit based on that seven day roguelike, but there was you know like there's like the three people who are assigned to review it in that in that game jam. If you guys are familiar, and they all sort of liked it said it was like interesting and creative but it was kind of you know janky and not really polished that much so we had like a basically like a two or three year period where we didn't work on it at all and then uh just sort of picked it up again maybe like a year ago or something and then made um 
again, like like I was mentioning so before we started recording, so like we're not we're not game developers. We're we're just regular computer programmers. So this whole game is made with like a web development stack. It's all JavaScript. <laughs> the 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 actual the, the ASCII characters you see are actually rendered like in the, the DOM, like in the browser. So they're it's all HTML. Everything is rendered like that. Uh and the the app itself is Electron, which is like you know like what Slack and and things like that use <laughs> oh, to make really? desktop versions of of uh, <laughs> web apps. So, oh wow! So this is uh, yeah. This we is... just picked it up and fixed the 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 issues that we had from the game jam and, and just polished it up and converted it into Electron and and put it on Steam. Oh man, the mentioning of of JavaScript gives me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> You are a man braver than most. Uh, I, I've, I've tried to wrap my brain around JavaScript, and I just can't. I, I don't. I could never be a programmer. I've tried multiple times. It just I don't have the brain for it. But <laughs> it, it always amazes me when someone comes by and writes a game in Java or JavaScript. And I, I love how this is basically the same thing as Slack, which I was just using. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Uh, is a stand- now now so, is it harder to make a game in that kind of an I mean you never made one before but like are do you know if there are any advantages or disadvantages to making it the way you guys made it cuz I know nothing well i mean at least for me you know i i think unity has kind of a steep like learning curve like you know i've tried starting a couple of unity projects and there's there's just so much going on and it's uh you know, it just, it just, I'm sure if like I really was like committed and I, you know, spent months and months studying it, you know, I could get good at it, but like, it's just so much easier to do something you already know how to do than to try to learn new skills. So I, I'm sure it's not, this isn't the best way to make a game like this, but I mean, it, it, there's just like no barrier to entry. I already know how to do everything. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's just the easiest for us, I think. I think especially for for roguelikes where right where it's there's a single mode of interaction interacting with it and a lot of the content is right text and grids like it lends itself very naturally I think yeah that makes sense yeah that's true oh, we, we we kind of get the best of like the ter- you know so like the the grid itself is is just like a a, a grid of of characters. But we don't, unlike a like a ter- like a robot you play in the terminal, we don't actually have to exactly lay windows and overlays and things like that on top of the grid as well. So those can um, sometimes you'll notice like transparency in some of the pop-ups, or they're not perfectly aligned. They can be resized differently. So there's like advantages because we get the full grid, but we also get you know like regular formatting for other UI elements. So does this kind of thing put any limitation on, on the, on the system, on the, on the space, on the systems, on the ships, like are there any kind of limits you've run into when, when you build a game like this? I would say one challenge that's come up has actually been uh, getting it to work smoothly on platforms besides windows. Actually, there, there are some ways to make it work. I don't know if any of you have tried it on like a, um, we don't support Mac OS and Linux is like a little bit rough right now. <laughs> supporting Mac is, is very difficult. So I don't blame you on that one, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess that leads to my, the, I mean, I had a question. Do the star systems have like a boundary? Do they stop or can they just keep going indefinitely? Cause on the video, I don't know if you saw, I ran to like three frigates and I just kept running until my warp drive charged. And I never, <laughs> I never ran into like an edge or a boundary or anything. So I was wondering if right. there is. Hmm? Yeah, there's no, there's no edge. Um, I think there's a, like, the AI has a, a point where it w- will stop following you. Um, uh, that, that was implemented at some point. I, I don't know if it's still there, but yeah, I think the AI will stop following you eventually, but there, there's no edge. And and there's no, the, there's, there's no hidden extra material out there. Like everything is, is like pretty, you know, clearly concentrated in the middle of the system. Well, that totally makes sense, you know, but but turns out space space is in fact mostly space. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's true. Yeah, exactly. No, I was I was glad that the fact that there was no boundary because I just had to keep running away from these 
these frigates that were shooting at me while my warp drive charged so I can jump the heck out. Uh, and I just, I just noticed I could have kept going, which was neat. Um, would you, so making a game like this, what would you say is the biggest challenge using Java and HTML and all that? I think some of the biggest challenges that have come up have actually been, um, I would say, testing, both in terms of testing that the game functions correctly, but also in terms of like doing enough play testing to make sure that the, you know, the balance and the difficulty and the and the pacing makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, and I think it's especially true in a game like this where there's a lot of like very complex edge cases where it's like, you know the AI does something that's especially stupid in a very particular set of circumstances when the ship is, is in a certain place and the planets are in a certain place. And there can be a lot of like little, little bugs and details that are very hard to track down and reproduce. Yeah. I think testing the AI is hard. Cause you know, like we want, I think it's a mistake to want like super, super smart AI. Like, you know, it's fun to make an enemy crash into a star or something. But you, but you got to walk like a fine line because you don't want it to be like laughably stupid. You know, you want like if if you make, if you make them collide with a star, you want to feel like you you accomplished something, not necessarily like you just right. had a stroke of like completely dumb luck. You know, uh, uh, right. it should be like a mistake that a space pirate might actually make. That's I think that's the line a lot of game developers have to try and walk, like not making the AI too smart, but not making it too dumb either. Like you want you want a challenge. But you want it to feel like it's in the universe. You want it to feel like it's in the world and not, oh, I'm playing against a game AI. You know what I mean? So, hey, you know, another another hard like testing thing for us is like, you know, like in most roguelikes, you know, like I mentioned Brogue, right? Like you start on level one and there's like rats and jackals and kobolds and they all have like they all die in one hit. And, you know, that's how you learn how to play the game. And it starts to get harder from there. But like we we really have like kind of like a there's like a kind of a hard floor on how weak an enemy can be, right? Because an enemy needs to, it needs to have firing arcs, it needs to have power and shields and all these different components. Like, uh, the, so it can't be substantially, you, you can't have a spaceship in Warp Vector that's like functionally like a rat in, in Rogue, you know? So, so like, if like the weakest enemy in the game is half as strong as the starting player, that's kind of like a big even though the player the player even does outgun like a frigate in this game but like still with the, with the learning curve e- e- people can have trouble even with like a sloop the first time they play and we really can't make enemies any weaker than that other than maybe like some kind of like fighter or something but uh so like that yes. that, that makes it a little bit harder to, to sort of get the balance right because you can't we can't really just like copy the balancing from pre-existing roguelikes into this game um, and that makes it a little bit harder to test and balance as well. Interesting you went for ye olde naval terms for your spaceships there. <laughs> I love that, though. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it. I don't know. I <laughs> No one's ever called anything a sloop since uh, 1890, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think sloop is... Ex- I don't think sloop's really... Okay, okay yeah, yes, sloop is not... I mean, so a lot of sci-fi games, you know, they use... Corvettes and frigates and terms like that. Yeah, and I just I was just looking for like what's what's smaller than a frigate, and then you know the answer is a sloop. But you never, yeah, you, for some reason you never see the word sloop in in science fiction. I don't know why. Because again, sloop is like hard associated with a uh, age of sail. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. Frig- yeah. frigates yeah. and corvettes are still nominally in use, except no one knows what a frigate actually is. <laughs> frigates used to be like like sort of mid-grade capital ships and then they became these small escort ships and now they're just destroyers but smaller except when they're not <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty accurate the definition has changed over time because things have gotten bigger when it i'll be honest when it comes to like ship taxonomy and sci-fi you could pretty much just pick random <laughs> and it'll be just about as accurate yeah. Like if, if you're going for historical fiction, then of course you have to at least stick to what things were called at the time. But if you're doing sci-fi, just pick random. I re- I remember in college, this is a tangent. 
I uh, I was playing a science fiction role playing game that a friend designed, and I brought in the dreadnought from Iwar as my ship, as the hero ship. And everyone laughed at the name Dreadnought because it was one of the smallest ships in the game. <laughs> yes. Yes. The H named after HMS Dreadnought, the biggest, scariest battleship of its era. Um, but it was a Corvette. It was technically in, it was in, a- in, in I war. It's a Corvette. And in this role-playing game, it wasn't, it was barely the size of a frigate. And so everyone laughed at the name. Everyone laughed at the name Dreadnought. <laughs> you know, since uh, we were talking about combat, there's something that I wanted to bring up, and that when I tried fighting the pirates, I found myself more often than not using harsh language. I would try and fight the pirate, and it would say, you are trying to hail the SS Destructomatic, and they ignore your hail. and Part of the problem is uh, the the comms and the firing arc look just exactly alike to me. Oh, also, when I won't ask for it to be on Switch because there's no way you could get the program to run on Switch. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we get port to Switch. I haven't. I haven't looked into that, but yeah, the comms as as a weapon. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. That just it just seems like because the comms is like a targeted. I mean, you need a colorblind option. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We we yeah we don't we haven't really done any work into. I know like red green is a common you know type of colorblindness, and we use I think we use red and green for for like if, if you have an ally, it's green instead of yellow, and an enemy is red. So I think there is an issue there. So. Um, also, I wanted to point out, I had no idea there was no way to soft land on this planet, on any planet, apparently. And so I kept crashing into every planet, and I read through your guides, and I said, <laughs> what in the heck am I doing wrong with this? I found Thurston said, no, it's designed like that. You have to oh, crash. Okay, okay, yeah, so let me let me kind of ex- explain this. Okay, so my, my original thought process with this is, right, so in real life, when a, a spacecraft like re-enters an atmosphere, it, I mean, it suffers damage, right? Like, you know, s- space shuttles, these, the, the thermal tiles come off, like there's heat shields, there's parachutes, right? It's hard, it's hard to land a spacecraft, right? And then like, it, you're always going to take damage, right? So the idea is, yeah, even when you do a successful landing, you would take at least a point of damage, but the idea is you would charge up your shields. If your shields were charged, so like you weren't making an emergency landing in the middle of combat, you could, you know, negate, the, the damage from landing. That was my initial thought. Um, but yeah, basically almost a hundred percent of the people who have played the game just thought there was a bug, thought they were doing something wrong. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that basically we need to change the, because, because actually so right now the damage you take is like proportional to the speed, right? So if you're going at speed six, when you go over a planet, um, assuming you don't jump over the whole thing in one tick, uh, if you're going speed six and you hit the middle of the planet, you take six times as much damage than if you're going at speed one. So, but I think we're going to change that on the next patch so that the uh, the the you actually suffer no damage if you're at going at speed one as well. So, so you wouldn't suffer damage until speed two. Because yeah, again, I, I, basically be nobody understands what we were going for. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't be honest. Julie first, Julie first, then Thorsten. Julie, go okay. ahead. Trying to do less damage than two, and there's absolutely no way I can do that. However, I did that way come upon the wonderful option of being able to say how nice for the xenobiologist to be willing to sacrifice himself for our safety. Bye, see you later. And my thought was, if he didn't want to die on the planet, he shouldn't have put the red shirt on in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, did you guys all get... A, a, a very large number of of those alpha predator. Yeah. Yes. Events. Yeah. 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 I, I think yes. that might be a. a that's bug probably or a bug. I doubt it's supposed to happen that often. So yeah, that's probably a bug. But I saw. Yeah, I watched. I watched your stream, and I and I saw you got that. 
like probably like 75 percent all the time all yes. The, yeah so often <laughs> it just seemed out of place uh so it's it's a bugs happen you know not mad about it it's still a fun game uh thorsten what did you want to say uh i wanted to go back to the to the landing issue i think it's a great idea the way he did it actually uh, yeah so i won't i won't i i, I wouldn't change it to be honest I mean, I get that that people don't don't uh, don't get uh, why you did it, but uh, the idea in itself it, it is does, good. Honestly, it doesn't bother me either. It's like like once I grokked what was going on, it reminded me of landing in the uh, Sega Genesis version of Starflight, where you where if you're going too fast and you don't use your if you don't use your engines properly, you will crash and cause a lot of damage. So you gotta yeah. pay, you gotta pay attention. See, I kept, I guess I'm stubborn that way. I spent a lot of time trying to soft land on planets, figuring I'm doing something wrong. I just, if there were a way to let the player know, no, you're always going to take a little damage, then, oh, I'll stop trying to do it. Yeah, I think it's it's more of a communication issue, maybe on our part. Like if we had, um, yeah, either like some kind of tip or, or like some kind of, change to the way the damage is reported to you maybe that would make more sense to people yeah like, like a different sound or a different text message. or like maybe like maybe the first time you land on a planet a little info pops up like hey if you want to land properly you got to go slow you know just a little explainer text you know maybe that would maybe yeah. that would do it you know because it didn't take long for an idiot like me to grok it so if i can do it <laughs> Well, even though I went through a lot of xenobiologists or whatever they were, I, I really appreciate the sense of humor, so I don't <laughs> mind losing the crew members for that. Yeah. No, that, um, was, that was Yeah, one funny. of the things we were <clears throat> hoping to happen with those encounters is to have it be kind of a, a push-your-luck element, where it's like, are you willing to stake more of your crew in order to save the ones who are, you know, who are at risk? I enjoyed that actually. I I mean, I never got tired of that event. I just figured it, it happening so often was a bug, but I never got tired of it. You know, so it's still a fun event. One thing I really like is we have a couple of I think the the alpha predator names and the like anomaly names and a few other types of things are are kind of like procedurally generated. So there's like the name of the predator is different every time. Like like an arachno hydra or or whatever, and I think those are really funny. Uh, so I kind of like the events. Just e- even though, like you know, we made the random name generators. I think the events are funny just to see, like some of the kind of absurd sounding names, like an ultra gorgon or whatever that'll pop up. Yeah, I, I I do have a request. If you can somehow make those anomalies a little easier to see, I'm not colorblind, and even I had trouble sometimes finding them. Like. Like I really had to squint. I mean, unless that's intentional. If that's intentional, I don't know. But there were times where, like, I'd go to the jump map. It's like three unexplored anomalies. Where the hell are they? <laughs> like, are they right next to the sun? What am I doing? Why can't I see them? So I did have an issue. Um, I did have an issue seeing the anomalies every now and again. Um, so there's a way to maybe have them stick out a little more. I don't know. <laughs> That would be yeah. No, that's a good, good point. We could do like a Corona type effect, like the the way the quasars have, or something like that. Maybe. Yeah, something like that would probably be very helpful. Yeah, like I, I don't know what you could do to the font to make it stick out a little more. But yeah, there were definitely times where it's like, where do I have to find? <laughs> I would just get very confused. And I love anomalies; yeah. they terrify me. But at the same time, you can get some nice bonuses out of them. But they'll also yeah. hurl you into very dangerous places. <laughs> yeah, actually. So watching your watching your original stream of this kind of persuaded me that I think we need to change the anomalies a bit because I. I so my my new theory is that. Anomaly warp anomalies should should be a different color or or visually distinct from other anomalies. Um, either that or like the the most common anomaly type to to link systems together should be one that just gives you the coordinates. Because I think like just 
r- randomly getting warped out like 50% of the time is like kind of a I don't know it doesn't seem like it's that I, 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 don't, I don't think it's like the best way to do it you know well maybe um, I wouldn't change anything in that regard I like the, the unknown uh, nature of it but maybe less maybe less than a little bit instead of 50% make it like 30% or something like that like make it happen less often maybe um, yeah, so I think I think the way the system is set up right now is that each uh, each each star system has one link to the star system to its right and one link to the star system to its bottom, uh, and then those are either anomalies or sometimes like a, a, a coordinates you find on a planet event, and then uh, and then it adds a couple of anomalies on top of that, like. You know, like zero to two. So it's like like zero to two or zero to three or something. So in most cases, you've got two and not two warp anomalies in every system. Uh, I think that's that's the way it usually works. Yeah, I mean that does make sense. And again, I don't I don't mind like I don't I don't mind a bunch of the anomalies being warp anomalies. That's that's part of it's. I, I feel like it's a roguelike. You should have that kind of danger. You know, honestly. Yeah. So I like, I honestly, I thought it was very fitting the way it is, honestly. Like my only problem is I can't see the anomalies. That's my only problem right. is I have a tough time seeing them on the map. Um, but I didn't have a problem with like, oh, this is a radiation anomaly. This is an energy anomaly. This is a, oh no, I've jumped to where the, I jumped to where there's a hostile station. Oh no, that happened on the, on the video I recorded. It jumped me to like, oh, oh there's three frigates. I'm going to run away. Um, but I think it's all fitting to, to being a roguelike. I think that's fine. Honestly. So I saw that um, star citizen came up in a chat in the, Chad and I was gonna say yeah. there actually is a connection between warp vector and star citizen. Wait a minute. Explain. Okay. Okay. Wait. Hold so, the. Pre- stop the presses. Pink, we gotta oh, hear this. Oh, oh. Pick your neck. Pick your next words extremely carefully. Okay, here we go. Wait, buckle. I, I don't know what here I'm setting myself up for here. Click, click, but. clickly, click. I'm buckling up. Click, click, clickly, click. Okay, ready to go. Here we go. <laughs> The the original game, you know, that Brian talked about that was part of the seven-day roguelike, uh, it had a different name. It was called Starfarer. And when we decided to, you know, polish up the game and package it to be, you know, distributed on Steam, um, we actually decided to change the name from Starfarer to Warp Vector. And one of the reasons we, we decided to change the name was that Starfarer is actually kind of, kind of already a crowded name. And in yes. particular... It is the name of a ship in Star Citizen, and if you that's search true, it is. Oh yeah, there was also a game. It's an indie game. It was called Starfare, and it got it changed. Now it's its called name. Star Sector. That's right. And now it's yeah. called Star Sector. Yes, because it was Starfare. Star Sector. Yeah. I think they changed it also because of Star Citizen. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I think that I think that's why they changed their name of the game as well. <laughs> no, right, Warp Vector sure. is a great is a much better name. It sticks out. There are a lot of warp names. But warp vector is a good one. Um, so I thought yeah, I'm really happy with the new name. Like I was, I was really sad at first. Like, I'm like you know, I don't think Starfare is going to work, and I was like kind of attached to the name. But, but actually, once like the longer I think about warp vector, I, I actually think it's a lot better than Starfare, and it's like more memorable and more. I agree. Like, I agree. Really suited to the game. I agree. Yeah, Starfare is is. Like that's a that's an easy to forget name, and there are a lot of games with warp in them that you could easily forget as well. Like this means warp and whatnot, but warp vector like warp vector sticks in the memory, I think. Yeah, and unlike Star Citizen, your game actually came out in the final form. Oh, uh, there it is. <laughs> it's an actual game you can actually play today with things to do. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, sorry. We, we, we're, we're very, uh, we, we, we try not to be reductive. We try not to be negative, but we are, we have thoughts on star citizen around here. So that's very strong feelings. Let's just, we've had had a long time to gather those thoughts. Yeah. We, we, Uh we've had over a decade to feel how we feel. And so that's why when you brought up star citizen, we're like, Whoa, okay. Let's see where this goes. (laughs) 
But also, actually, I'll add as a caveat, um, Warp Vector is is not quite in its final form yet. We're we're working on a new <coughs> update now that's going to include it's going to include some new features Ooh. and some and some fixes, um, including I think one highlight is that it's going to combine, it's going to unify the system for upgrading ships with the system for um, mounting and equipping weapons. So like so in the current version. There's a separate menu for saying, hey, you know, I want to upgrade my capacitor bank versus I want to equip, you know, oh, an ion cannon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one is the station yeah. menu and the other is the drag and exactly. drop thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's going to, in the in the next version, the all the ship upgrades, um, like if you want to upgrade your, you know, your shield generators, your capacitor bank, those will also be part of that drag and drop menu. So you'll see everything in one place. Oh. And also what that, that lets you do is it, it creates a bit of opportunity to have a little bit more strategy in those upgrades. So so instead of just being like, you know, how much how many bit credits do you want to put into upgrading your capacitors, there actually will be, you know, a few different choices of like different types of capacitor banks to choose from. Depending oh, nice. on you know, what trade-offs you want between like you know, the cost and the and the weight and the capacity like, and the weight, right? Like this this capacitor. Yeah, so we're adding, Oh, that's a great. Oh, yeah, so this capacitor. Oh, so this capacitor like weighs gives you a lot more energy, but it weighs a lot more, so it increases your mass, which means, it, blah blah blah, it's going to slow you down or make you make it harder to turn or however that works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, great. Oh, I love that. More meaningful choices. That's what we want as gamers is more meaningful choices. So that's great. One of the thing I wanted to ask you about was the future of the game. And although I realize, you know, there's short of a miracle, no way something like Java works uh, on Switch, but there are games that have the capacity for storytelling, just like yours has here, and even some in-depth storytelling. And I'm wondering if at some point in the future we're going to see that from your game. Like like a plot line with like more characters yeah, and that's we'll care with more characters plot lines because it's obvious just from the little bits of humor I've seen playing your game that there's a possibility for putting a lot of that into the game and I'm wondering if we'll ever see something like that. Well, I I don't I don't know because it's a game you know where where you die a lot in this game uh, and I I think it's hard to put that kind of storyline into into games where you yeah you just you continuously die and reload and start over i mean it's it's not quite like something like a you know like a baldur's gate type game where you go through and you save your game and you reload and and so i, I don't know i i think it could be uh, I, I don't know so i, I think that'd be kind of hard to put into warp vector there there are a few plot elements that that I think might be really cool to expand on, although right now I think they're actually actually kind of hard to find in the game. So for example, I don't know if you encountered the, you know, the Mogcon's fleet, um, which is something that, that you wouldn't encounter unless you get uh like pretty far and maybe get kind of lucky. But I I think there's some I elements did. there. Oh you did, okay. It was uh... I jumped into a system, saw about 12 warships? Oh, there. Give or take. I decided I'm going to leave. And the music changed, if memory serves, which was... Uh, yep, that was Mogcon, yeah. Yeah, it's a little... Oh, man, I, I feel like we... we... I, I feel like we don't really have a good path right now to, like... To actually be able to defeat some of the end game content, like the precursors and like the Khanate and like some of these like advanced factions, I, I I think they're kind of I think probably like out of the 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 reach of most players to actually be able to defeat like with any yeah. kind of like reasonable loadout. I think you'd have no, to be actually- so lucky to find. Like artifacts and stuff, do you need to beat those guys? Hilariously enough, I found both of those during one playthrough, and uh, one playthrough po- <laughs> during one playthrough. Oh my both god! Both times I, I decided to po- I decided to poke them, saw the damage they dealt, and left. <laughs> so, in that sense, the game does does recreate you know the scientific method: poke at it with a stick and see what happens. <laughs> And lets you potentially survive the encounter if you're lucky enough. 
So I have a question, uh, if I may here. Um, it, I know this is a roguelike, but is there um, any plans on adding like new starting loadouts or anything like we could see in FTL? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we ha- we haven't we haven't thought about that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe something like something like that would would work. It would would work. Uh, yeah, no, we did. It, it does have you know some FTL influence in it as well. Like a lot of the events and things um, are are based on FTL. So we, yeah, so we, I, I, I don't know, Max, have you played FTL? Uh, not really, actually. Um, but I take it you're you're thinking like starting loadouts that as you make progress, you might unlock the ability to have, um, right to. Try setting up new loadouts to start the well, game. Like, like a ship that starts with like an, an extra ion cannon instead of a laser cannon, or a ship that starts with a teleporter, or something like that. Yeah, something along those lines. I guess yeah. uh, that's good to fill it in. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, one thing with with FTL is that as you get further in and you you complete, you could say challenges uh, with the various ships. You get more loadouts to play using those uh, alternate versions of those ships. So they have different loadouts, maybe different crew, and different capabilities because of that. Yeah, I mean, we could just like that would be the kind of thing where it would be most of the work would be in like play testing it and balancing it, and not necessarily in like implementing it because i mean we already have a bunch of types of equipment and stuff actually because we're adding the new like modular equipment system with like auxiliary slots and stuff like that uh, it maybe it would be easier to do to have a more variety in, in like starting starting ships uh yeah i mean we haven't really considered that but i guess it's something that's a possibility I do find it amusing that we, uh, how do I say, that we praised um, this game for not co- for like not coming out in early access, and then when we're all going, oh, but can you have this thing and this thing and this other thing? Well, I mean, that's fine if we, if you want to see more stuff. It's it's fine for a game to hit 1.0 and and be within the developer's vision of what they had for a 1.0, but. I think it I think it speaks well to the game that we like it so much we want more of it. You know? So I think that's completely reasonable. Honestly. Well, I mean, it's 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 common for me to have problems with uh colorblindness in the game. I mean, and it's not like I go out in my front lawn and I say, "Oh, hey, the lawn's a lovely <laughs> red today." Uh it's just that in real-world situation, which is what kept me, even though I I qualified for flight school, here's what kept me out of the navy and got me into the army. The little lights at the end of the aircraft carrier looked the same to me. So, um I I eventually with enough playtime, I could have figured out how to tell the difference between when I was trying to use the comms and when I was trying to use the firing at something other than, you know, yes, this time it worked. I fired at the the ship, you know, or maybe some little thing pop up that says, yes, you have to press this button more than once or something. But uh, the game is perfectly playable and I enjoyed it. Do you think there's there's some like user experience problems with the weapon system? Because I've had, I've definitely had cases where you either fire the wrong the wrong weapon, right, the wrong system, or you fired at the wrong target. I've, I've definitely had games where you get very far, but then in the heat of battle, you accidentally shoot your weapon at say a merchant station instead of a pirate sloop. And then you've completely screwed yourself over because now that merchant station starts coming after you. That's actually happened. That's actually happened to me. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. But, but, uh, but honestly, but honestly, uh, I, I liked it. I, I really liked that because uh, uh, in real life you do uh, you you do mistakes too, and so I'm I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't really have to. I mean, it took a while to to get used to the controls, but once I did, it it made sense that target 
fire. It's it. I found it fairly straightforward, honestly. Uh, and again, I am an idiot. So <laughs> if if I could find it straightforward, I think anyone can. I, yeah, I don't really think I had a problem with the uh, the we- the weapon thing, though. I will admit the comms as a weapon thing did throw me off at first. That is, uh, I would say that's not a common thing, but I, I, I liked it <laughs> at the same time. I liked it. Um, I just wasn't ready for no, it. Yeah, actually, seeing, seeing playthroughs like yours is actually, is really helpful because it, it lets us see, you know, somebody like really sits down and records the whole process of trying to figure everything out and figure out how to play the game. I mean, it shows us a lot about like, what are the things that like people really enjoy? What are the things that are like challenging, but still fun? What are the things that are confusing? Yeah. That's what, that's why I like uh, coming to my video, my streams cold to a game because I, I've gotten so many comments from developers about that very thing. Cause so many people can edit a video. So many people could make a a pre-recorded video about a thing and edit it wonderfully and i have no editing ability whatsoever so i just go in and like oh i can't figure this out i'm stupid uh but so many developers have have said it's been very helpful to find to to watch someone try and figure out how to play their game from jump so uh i i really love i really love doing it that way (laughs) um yeah yeah we we had given out you know a few keys to people and we'd gotten a little bit of feedback from some people in terms of just like a you know a a sentence or two in in text but yeah you you were actually the first person i've ever watched play the game uh so that was yeah so your your stream was like super helpful uh yeah especially i the one thing i didn't realize you were confused for a long time about about when your warp core and your shields would recharge and yeah, I didn't realize how that wasn't really clear at all until until watching you play. So, yeah, we're trying to trying to um, make that more more obvious in the next update as well. Oh yeah, I did. Uh, I did have some confusion about that. I mean, it made yeah, no, sense it's totally, eventually. Totally understandable because we don't have any kind of explanation in, in the game of how that how that <laughs> actually works. Oh, you know what? That's a, it. That could be fine if the game is designed well enough that it doesn't take too much brain power to figure things out. Like I, a slight tangent, I played um, I played another game recently uh, called was it Orbit Drop? I think it was called. No tutorial whatsoever. Orbit Zero. Orbit Zero. Thank you. No tutorial whatsoever. Has a has a has a GUI from 1994. It's it's a beautiful thing and has no tutorial or explanation of anything nothing at all is explained and yet it's made well enough that you figure it out and i i enjoyed it immensely so don't mostly to trial and error yeah but still i mean that's that i i had no problem with that it had a very it, it felt like a shareware game i bought at a computer fair in a ziploc bag with no manual and just like two floppy disks you know <laughs> From from 1994, uh, and that's what it felt like. And you had to figure it out on your own. It was great. So don't beat yourself up too hard about that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff could be fun to figure out. But um, I will grant you that yes, it was confusing. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine because you know it's a roguelike. You know it's 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 a rogue game. They're they're not meant to be the easiest things in the world. And and. I think I went in with the proper expectations where I still had a fun time, even though I was confused, <laughs> you know, well, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and you never, since this is your first game and you never know what's behind somebody's decision. I, I have a friend that started out as an, as an ixiologist and ended up an executive producer in the gaming industry. Did you just wake up in the morning and say, Hey, I know a roguelike. Uh, well, what kind of, brought you to this point in your lives when you said hey let's make this little roguelike game well yeah i mean for me it was definitely brogue uh and so that that brogue was what got me into roguelikes i mean it's almost what got me into programming as well and oh uh it got me into doing the seven day roguelike game jam and then i so i i initially had started on uh warp vector which was then called starfarer and then Max hopped in the game jam a few days later, but yeah. So the the main thing that drew me into it was 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 Brogue, which I I absolutely love that game. Uh, and 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I played I played that game for a really really long time, and I'm I'm super super big fan of it. Yeah, and I I was gonna add that although this is the first game that we've that we've actually published, there's a few other games that we've made for you know just for funsies as part of like seven day roguelike and just as as like fun um, weekend projects. Yeah, a couple other roguelikes, stock market simulator. Um, but this is the first time that, you know, in part because of the like the feedback, the positive feedback we had gotten from some of the um, seven day roguelike uh, players that we that we wanted to like actually try to to package up and flesh out into a, into a really playable game. So did you guys? I'm, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, nothing. No, no, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I was also just going to say that the visually, I think out of different projects we made, this is the one that looks the most like colorful and, you know, it's the most like visually compelling, I think. It's sort of like a unique style, I think. And, and that, that was also one of the reasons why I thought this was this should be the project that we um, polish up more and try to put on Steam. Well, I mean, it's very reminiscent of my favorite game in the world, Starfleet 2 Curling Commander. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a little thing that came out in yeah. 19, 1989, and now it's being revamped uh, for Steam and GOG. Um, but, Mike, my, I was about to ask, did you guys meet through the Game Jam? No, no, I mean we've we've known oh, okay. each other for like twenty years. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's sa- it sounded for a second like you guys met through the game jam. Okay, I mean that would have been adorable too. <laughs> How, wait, well, let's go then. How did you guys meet then? Let's let's take it to that level. <laughs> yeah, so I mean we started playing D and D together in in middle school or high school. Oh God, you guys yeah. are young. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> No, we're we're old though. I mean, we no, we started. We met. I, I mean, I'm I'm 38. So, uh, yeah, but we just we just started playing D and D. You know, you know, like 20 something years ago and 25 years ago. And yeah, we've just been been friends for a long time. Well, s- slight tangent. Then speaking of D and D, have you guys tried Baldur's Gate three yet? So we we're we we're about to. So yeah, I, I downloaded it. Uh, but yeah, I haven't haven't started yet. It's astounding. It's Let me absolutely ask you, astounding. You're 38 and you think you're old? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, my uh, back hurts. You're only as old as I you feel. I feel old. <laughs> I played, I started playing games before the internet existed. You know, but, you know, I just, I always wanted, I always compliment people, especially independent authors and developers who are willing to put themselves out there, you know, because while oh, God, I yeah. first, uh, in my own field, while I've done a lot of writing articles about video games, um, this is the first time I ever put myself out there and wrote an actual book and finished it, you know. And my friends say, you know, you're finished with the book. You actually have to give it to us. And I said, well, I'm afraid to I'm afraid to do what you've done, you know, put it out there and have somebody say, oh, my God, you know. What about, you know, and get all the negative feedback. And so I'm, I'm proud that you're willing to do this. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, I was a little scared of, of, of negative feedback. I mean, that's, um, but so far it's almost all been positive. I mean, even the people who are confused or don't like it, they still sort of appreciate the, the I guess the novelty of it because it's not like a ripoff of anything, you know, and, uh, so even people who don't like it still seem to appreciate it in some way. So I, we've been pretty lucky avoiding negative feedback. And I, and I do think that the the roguelike players and community is is really quite supportive. Because I remember when we first posted a trailer on the, I think it was our roguelikes and our roguelike dev, that yeah, there, there was a lot of positive feedback, which I think might be in part because sort of the nature of roguelikes yeah. is that a lot of players are also developers. Even even if not professionally, at least you know um, well, they have to fiddle with it. Another great yeah. thing about roguelikes yeah. is they invite experimentation. They invite people to take these crazy ideas and put them into this thing where, oh, you're only going to be playing for five minutes until you die. Let's try this crazy nonsense, you know. So I think roguelikes give people an expectation that oh, we're going to get into some shenanigans, 
And it really <laughs> allows people to have an open mind about what they're going to get into. Um, so, But yeah, speaking of RPGs, I was going to say that another one of our, I don't know, sources of inspiration was um, the tabletop RPG Stars Without Number. I've not heard of that Ooh. one. Yeah, if you, if you guys have ever played that, if you look... If you look through like the equipment list or like the starship equipment list, like a lot of the weapon names and things uh, are, are 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 from Stars Without Number, and a lot of the the concepts. Oh, like, set, set, now it makes click. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of this one. Oh, this looks great, though. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, it's a fun, I, it's a fun game, and I think it, it has a it has a really. Um, I think a really interesting system for doing uh, like ship to ship space combat within a tabletop RPG. Oh, that's good. Cause that's, that's hard to, I've, I've only done a couple of uh, RPGs with spaceship combat and it's, it's like uh fading suns and uh, serenity and uh, probably the, weaker parts of those RPGs <laughs> were the, where it was when they tried to implement spaceship combat. So, yes, uh, I, I, I'm reminded of the, uh, of the time we brought up of the time he brought over, uh, Ken from Ad Astra. He, I remind me if he brought it up on the, the podcast, uh, he presented, uh, space combat in RPGs as a, as an issue similar to, uh, putting, do- uh, putting dolphins on chariots. Sorry, attaching chariots to dolphins. <laughs> what ends up happening is if you got five people on the same ship, some of the people end up as dolphins, some of the people end up as people on the chariot. And if the chari- if the dolphins are happy, the people on the chariot are drowning. <laughs> if the people on the chariot are happy, the dolphins are f- flopping around on the ground with uh, without anything to do. Huh. Which yeah, starts with that number handles it pretty well, you know, because there's different like, there's different roles you can take in the battle. So there's like a comms officer and an engineer. Yes, but it still thing. struggles with a similar with that issue of sometimes those roles aren't really very. They don't get to do much besides pushing one button. Yeah, yeah which gonna... is a kind of a un, it's a universal plague of these types of games. So that's the, not necessarily a critique. I'm going to add this to my wish list on drive through RPG because I don't have time to play RPGs anymore, but I do love reading the books. Uh, there is a free version of the book as well. Oh, is there? Which contains most of the stuff. Yes. Oh, okay. uh, what? oh I'm looking at the one on drive through RPG. Um, well, that there's like three or four of these on drive through. So, you know, yeah, this is the one does not narrow it down. Uh, the revised edition is the one I found. I'll link it. There we go. Um, it's $20 for the PDF. But I'll look for a free version as well. That sounds, that sounds like my oh, yeah, jam. There's, there's definitely a basic version. And it's, the difference between the, the basic version is just missing like a couple chapters on like, m- like mechs and, and stuff like that. Yes, and robots and stuff. Oh, there is a free yeah. version. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, I will definitely read that because I, I, love, I love reading nice and crunchy RPG books. <laughs> And this looks yeah. this looks very crunchy. <laughs> oh man. I mean, since this is RPG inspired, might that be the next thing after Warp oh, Vector? No. <laughs> A digital well, version of next, Stars of the next game, The next game I want to work on is so this is actually another project that we did for um a seven day roguelike a couple of years ago. I think this was the one we did in 2020. It was called Dead Man's Hand, and it was a Western roguelike um, where you could play poker in the game. And it was... But the the really cool thing about it is if you went over and sat down at a poker table in this roguelike, you wouldn't like go into a separate mode or open up a separate window. It was like everything was happening every, every round in the poker game was actually around in the real world. So like at your table, people would be, you know, like, you know, bidding and calling and, and doing all this stuff. Well, other people are walking around in the world, um, like outside of the saloon or coming into the saloon and joining the game. And so like you could shoot somebody in the middle of a card game. You don't need to go into a special mode to do that. You can just whip out your revolver and, and blast them, you know? So, uh, 
and then like you could cheat and then they would get upset and then they would potentially threaten or attack you and um I, I, I we, we started working on that for the for this the seven day roguelike and we got to a state, you know, where um it it it, it was kind of complete as like a little town simulator where people would come in and gamble and pawn their stuff to get more money to gamble and so on. But there was no like goal. There was nothing to do outside of town. You could, all you could really do is just gamble. Uh, But I I would like to take that and sort of develop it more with like locations to explore and quests and things like that. Um, And that's definitely what I would want to do. What I want to do next. That sounds really fun. That sounds really, Wow, that sounds really fun. Do you guys do the the jam this uh, game jam every year, or just every so often? Not yeah, we haven't done it. What did we do? Was it was twenty twenty the last time we did it? Yeah, I think it might have been twenty twenty. Yeah, because I'm guessing you have day jobs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we we did a uh, we did a stock market game like in. So yeah, in twenty twenty one, when there was like all this like you know hysteria around like GameStop and crypto and everything, we did a like a stock market simulator that had a lot of like meme humor in it. Um, it was kind kind of like a parody and and like kind of like a satire, and I guess also kind of like a like an homage a little bit, like meme tr- trading. Um, and that's actually is that that's still up, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's still up. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to, yeah, it's FOMO Loco. I'll post it here in the chat. Um, this was our other, yeah, our our other more more recent projects. That was actually a multiplayer game. So if if different people, if if people join like at the same time, like if you join within five minutes of somebody, you'll end up in the same game as them. Uh, so you'll be able to like trade with other players and stuff. But it's kind of it's, <clears throat> this is like this game has a lot of. Of like humor in it. There's like, um, like there's like fake news stories that scroll by the bottom that are randomly generated, and they're all kind of kind of funny or (laughs) trying to misinterpretation of horoscope based uh, for loss on spacecraft during attempted flyby of Venus. Okay, (laughs) so you can buy, you can sell, you can hype. Oh man, this looks. I know nothing about stock markets, so I'm looking at this like my my eyes are just glazing over. I know I know nothing about this sort of thing. <laughs> it looks funny though. It's funny that these are actual other people playing this thing right now. <laughs> well, no, so some of the so you can see if you look at the ranking. So if there's a robot head, that that means it's a AI. And if there's a person, that means it's another. Oh, person. so these are all AIs. I see. Usually, yeah. So when we when we first launched this game, uh, there were I think the peak we ever had was like 20 people playing it. But usually it was just um, uh, usually there's just like there's like one or two for like a week, and then now it's kind of died off. And usually there's nobody playing it. Oof. Right, but but the bots are kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Just sold my boyfriend's hollow foil char lizard Charizard. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. All right, well, it's about an hour. We should probably start wrapping up. Um, so, folks, the game again is Warp Vector. It how much is it? It's not much. It's like what five bucks? Uh, five dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an amazing buy-in price for a game that'll keep you busy for a while over multiple sessions. It's not hard to play. It's it's got a lot of variety. It's very fun. It's very uh, colorful. It's it's just really a, a a lovely little gem of a thing. And we're apparently going to get more more stuff for it soon with a neck with a with an update coming up soon. So that's awesome. Hopefully someday maybe there'll be a warp vector too. Maybe. Um, but yeah, go check it out. It's easily worth five. It's worth ten dollars, but they're charging five. Go get it. My God. Uh, it's. <laughs> It's it's you coffee costs more than this. Go buy this. My god. Uh so uh it's true. Yeah. So next week friends, uh no guest. We uh recently passed uh, 9,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is amazing. Um I think it's amazing. And uh we're going to celebrate by playing some Rift Tracks the game next week. So that's what we're going to do next week. 
uh, for the podcast. And yeah, then tomorrow uh, for the stream, we're going to play Five Nations Renegades. Um, the latest expansion, well, the first expansion, I guess, for Five Nations, the Spacey RTS. So that'll be fun. So, Brian and Max, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about this really fun little game that just crept up and surprised us. Uh, surprised us all. Such a fun little thing. We really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm looking forward to playing more. And I can't wait for that new update that you guys are talking about. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Thanks for all the all the kind words. It's 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 awesome. And again, thank you guys again for being so flexible, folks. We were supposed to do this one last week, but when I came back from vacation, a hurricane had knocked out my internet, so I did not know if we we're going to have internet. So we pushed it back a week, and we might have had to push it back again if I had tested positive for COVID. Speaking of COVID, get your vaccines, everyone. My God, I I can't believe I have to keep saying this, but for God's sakes, please get vaccinated. My wife just had COVID, and because she was vaccinated, it was, and thanks to um, Paxlovid, Paxlovid, she was able to get through it relatively unscathed and uh, tested negative within five days. Last time, it took like 12 days to test negative. So, uh, yeah, get vaccinated. God damn it. I can't believe I have to keep saying that. (laughs) But I'm going to keep saying it until it's an endemic. Uh, And as always, thank you to our patrons uh, for helping literally keep the lights on around here. And with that, we will see you back here tomorrow for some Five Nations. Have a great day, everyone. Be safe. Be well. Bye-bye.